Beyond the Jargon, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their research journeys here at the University of Victoria. Jargon. I'm your host, Liz MacArthur, and my guest today is Samantha Harder, who is doing her PhD in physics. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Let's start off with uh, with explaining, you know, sort of in a nutshell, what your research is, what you're doing. Physics is so broad. <laughs> Maybe you can give us an idea of what you are studying specifically. Sure. My research is looking at studying the molecular changes that occur in human cancer cells following exposure to radiation. And so specifically, we're using a technique called Raman spectroscopy to look at these molecular changes. And I should probably explain what that is. Okay. (laughs) So Raman spectroscopy is basically, we're using a high-powered laser, and this is like red light, but at a really high power, Mm -hmm. and we shine it on individual cells, and then those uh, molecules within the cell interact with that light and cause the light to scatter. And then we detect that scattered light, and it tells us about the types of bonds and molecules present in the cell. Mm -hmm. And so we use that technique to track the types of molecular changes that occur in these cells once they've been exposed to radiation. So the red light, the beam, is the radiation that you're putting into the cell and watching how it interacts. Is that right? Yes, exactly. That's so, pretty. That seems pretty simple. You know? Yeah, it's pretty straightforward in <laughs> yeah. general. But uh, you know, you have to make sure you have the optics uh, just perfect to get that light mm-hmm. um, where you need it to hit an individual cell. And, like cells are on the order of a ten micron distance, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very small, and you want to try to make sure that you're getting the light right on those cells, and then try to collect all that light so we can get as much information about the types of molecules in those cells. So uh, once you send the, the light through the cell and then you're looking at the bonds and, how, and what happens in the cell, how do you gather that information and what do you, how do you get that? So what we're doing is basically using lenses, um, you know, like your glasses or a lens mm-hmm. to focus the light that comes off of those cells and we bring it into a computer uh, and, and analyze all of the data that we get from that scattered light. And then it tells us about the energies that it uh, scattered to, and we can use that information to tell us what kinds of bonds are basically in the cell. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're using that information basically to understand how cells respond to radiation so that we can apply that to um, applications in biochemistry and also uh, for improvements of radiation therapy, cancer treatments. Um, And so people who undergo cancer treatment, one of the most common uh, treatments they undergo for either palliative reason or for treatment is radiation therapy. And it's the application of ionizing radiation to um, basically kill the tumor cells while minimizing damage to the healthy cells. And, um, and so our research is hopefully going to shed light on how those cells respond to that treatment mm-hmm. so that we can maybe target the treatment and make it more efficient um, or study how an individual person responds to the treatment so that we can make it personalized for them. Right. So, so making it less, I guess, 
hard on the people that are that have to undergo radiation treatment. Yeah, exactly. So when someone gets diagnosed with cancer and they and the doctor decides that they're going to undergo radiation therapy, you have to determine what type of dose you're going to give them uh, to treat the tumor, and and you choose that dose so that you don't. Um, give them too many bad side effects, but at the same time you want to kill all of the tumor cells so that you cure them, mm -hmm. right? And so we're, you really need to find a balance between these two things, and we're looking at ways of improving the way we determine what dose to give to a patient. Mm -hmm. And we're doing that by studying how cells are responding to radiation. How um, did you think that you would be doing this, you know, when you started out in your academic career? Were you interested in cancer research when you began or is this something that just developed over the years? Um, I've been interested in cancer research pretty much my whole life, actually. Hmm. Um, it's, my dad one day when I was like in grade four came home from uh, the library on a Saturday afternoon and he brought this like huge box of encyclopedias home that he got from a used book sale. Mm. And he says, here, Sam, like, have fun. Cause you know, you didn't have internet back then and yeah. <laughs> no computers. Um, and that was really like my lifeline at the time. I was reading those books constantly, but really there was eight encyclopedias mm -hmm. and I was reading two of the eight all the time. And the first one was about the human body and specifically there was a section I remember on disease and cancer mm -hmm. that I would read all the time. And then the other book the, in the volume was um, one on physics. Mm. And, you know, what is the electron? What is a proton? And things like that. And I read those books all the time. And I think that's kind of stuck with me up until this point that I've always had this dual interest in uh, cancer research and physics. Mm -hmm. And now um, in my graduate career, I can apply both of those concepts to tackle a relevant problem in healthcare. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was uh, when I looked at what you were studying, um, or the uh, at the title of a presentation you made about it, and it said, you know, PhD in physics, and then talking about cancer research. It, I don't know, being a layperson, I wasn't exact. I didn't make that connection. I usually think of. Uh, any kind of cancer research is like a, bio, a biological yeah. um, or in the field of biology. Do you partner ever with um, with other departments to look at this, the way cells are, are, um, are reacting to the tests you're putting them through? Or is this something that is totally self-contained within your department? Absolutely. It is not contained within my department. Um, I'd like to think that I am a physicist tra trained um, in an undergrad setting, but from my undergrad physics degree, I got this tool kit, and it's this understanding of, you know, the interactions between light and matter that I took away from that and the ability to problem solve, and I'm taking that toolkit and applying it to problems in biology and chemistry to answer some of those questions. And in my day-to-day -day basis, I'm working very closely with uh, people at the Dealey Research Center, which is um, at the Royal Jubilee Hospital. Mm. Um, and then I also work very closely with a chemist, uh, one of the chemistry profs here at UVic, and a physics prof at UVic. Mm. Um, and you can almost say, so the subsection of physics that I'm actually part of is called medical physics. And so there's this whole um, field within physics of people who are physicists by training that solve and work on medical-related problems. Hmm. 
Um, mine is more on the biology side of things than most medical physicists would deal with. Um, but I love that aspect of it. I love the, you know, kind of teetering on the boundary between physics, chemistry, and biology all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the uh, the experiments that you do for your research, what it looks like and how you're doing this, um, you know, the beam of, uh, of radiation and then the cells, are you growing cells in the lab, that kind of sure, stuff? Sure, yeah. yeah. So uh, typically I, I could start by saying I grow up human cancer cells. Mm-hmm. So at, this is where the Dealey component of my research comes in. So at the Dealey Research Center, it's a biosafety lab that I can actually grow human samples of human tissues. Um, so we pick a cell line. I've happened to choose a couple of breast cancer cell lines and a prostate and a lung cancer cell line. Mm-hmm. I grow those up over at the cancer center. Um, and so they grow in their little dishes and become a nice little layer of cells that then I take over to the uh, LINAC, which is a linear accelerator used for treating patients. Uh, during radiation therapy, and I treat my cells in the petri dish like they were a patient. So I put them on the treatment bed and irradiate them Hmm. uh, to expose them to the same types of doses that a patient would experience uh, during treatment. And then I am going to then go and study how those cells are responding to that radiation. And that's where uh, my component with UVic comes in, where I then do spectroscopy Roman spectroscopy to study the molecular changes. And basically what I do is take those cells out of their petri dish where they're nice and happy and growing mm-hmm. and um, put them in a little on a little disc. And it's a, a very special disc that doesn't react with my laser light. Um, and I put it under a microscope. And instead of looking at the cells with my eyes, I use a laser light and hit that with the cells instead. So the cells are under a microscope, and the laser light then um, interacts with just one cell, mm-hmm. and that allows me to then do my uh, study of the molecules within that cell. So do you look through the microscope at what, at what is happening? First, I look through the microscope to actually see that there's a cell there. Right. <laughs> and then, um, so I use my eyes for that, but then I go and shut the the eye portion out so I can't see the cell anymore but I know that it's lined up mm-hmm. and then I bring in the laser okay and that allows me to then do my study and so are you looking at the cell after uh, the laser has hit as well um, yeah I, I can look at it after the laser hits but really what I'm interested in is what the laser is telling me what the oh. interactions between the laser and the cell tells me mm-hmm. and so that I pick up through a, a fancy detector and analyze um, on a computer just it's really Mm -hmm. to any person from the outside world looking at that data it would just look like a bunch of numbers but to me it actually tells me what types of bonds are in that that single cell Mm -hmm. um, and allows me to then understand what's changing in that cell in response to radiation Mm. Um, and then I do that for hundreds of cells in one sample just to get a picture of how that sample responded to the radiation they Mm. were exposed to. So hundreds of cells within one particular sample that you've grown. Um, Okay, I have a bunch of questions now. I just have to line them up in my mind. (laughs) Um, You mentioned that you chose um, cell lines that were breast cancer, prostate cancer, and lung cancer. Why did you choose those particular ones? And are there variations, are there large variations between the different types of cancer? So 
the reason we chose those ones to look at were um, basically we wanted to look at a variety of types of cancer to see if there are variations in how they respond to radiation. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we just happened to have those ones available to us in the lab specifically, but at least we had a, a sampling of different types of cancers that we could look at. Mm -hmm. um, so that was good. So we wanted a variety of types of cancer. And then, in terms of how they actually respond to radiation, this is where the results of our research uh, sheds light on what's actually happening. And what we've found is that it does depend on the type of cancer. Um, that'll determine the types of responses these cells have to radiation. Hmm. So um, a nice example is, I'm looking at two different types of breast cancer. And, um, you know, in general, they, they seem the same, but when you go to grow them in the lab, they do have a bit of behavioral differences, like one grows a lot faster than the other. If you look at them with your eyes under the microscope, one is a lot has a lot of large, big, round cells, and the other one has smaller, uh, more spread out cells. So they look different, hmm. and they actually do behave different. They have different personalities um, in terms of like I, this is kind of silly, but I think of myself as almost like little children that, you know, you have to take care of them every few days right. um, <laughs> and feed them. Otherwise they get mad at you and they don't, <laughs> you know, they, they start dying. Right. <laughs> you don't want that in the middle of an experiment. Mm -hmm. So they do have different behaviors. But even when I go and irradiate these two different types of breast cancer with the same type of radiation, the same amount of radiation, and then I study the molecular changes in these two different uh, breast cancer cell lines, there are different responses occurring hmm. in them. So one cell line we found had a certain type of response. I won't go into the details of it because that doesn't really matter. Right. Um, but then the other breast cancer cell line had a different biochemical response. And so what that tells us is that even the same type of cancer, depending on the type of uh, cell line, it can vary how they respond to radiation. Mm -hmm. And that's important because that hints that you can't treat every type of cancer even the same way necessarily. Right. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like your research is, you know, fairly successful in the sense that you're actually getting, you know, data that, you know, it w could change the way that, I guess, cancer is actually treated. Did you, how long have you been doing this research now? So I did, I started doing this in my master's, mm -hmm. for a master's, and that was um, about two and a half years ago now that I started. Right. And I loved the project so much, I decided I'll, <laughs> I'll commit to the PhD. Mm -hmm. And so that just started this year. And so I've got a few more years left of it. Mm -hmm. um, and I hope to bring it as far as possible. But yeah, so far it's been two and a half years of working on this. Mm. And it seems like every day I come into the lab, I think of more and more things that we need to look at and do. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like I'm going to put a call out there to any grad students that want to like get in on this type of a project. Right. <laughs> we need the help. There's so much mm -hmm. exciting stuff going on in this, in this project right now that's mm -hmm. just coming up. How many times do you think that you have shone that little beam through cells at this point over two and a half years? Oh my years? goodness, that is a really good question. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I'll just put out maybe 50,000 times. And, and each one of those takes approximately 20 seconds, you know, mm -hmm. of, of just 
collecting data and then about in total a minute mm-hmm. I don't know maybe a little bit less than a minute per cell to do everything um, just to collect the data so you know it, it takes up a lot of my time <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm actually this is the topic of my my most recent research is making this more efficient oh yeah because at the end of the day the research we're doing has two applications I would say the first is we're interested in doing this work because we want to improve the way we approach treating cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and so by understanding the molecular changes occurring in the cells, that gives us an insight into maybe targeting the responses to enhance them in the cells mm-hmm. so that we can kill more cells. And also it allows us to maybe apply this to patients one day. Say, you know, we have a patient here, how are they responding to radiation? And then we quantify that using this technique and then allow that to adjust their treatment. Tell us how to adjust the treatment accordingly to their response. Um, And if we want to do this with the patients, it needs to be more efficient. It needs to be something that not just a specialist like me who's been working on it for two years can do, but anyone can do, and it can be quick and efficient. And so I'm working on making it quick and efficient by bringing in something, uh, it's a term called microfluidics. Hmm. Basically, what we're trying to do is automate this process so it doesn't take a minute per cell right, uh, to analyze. Yeah. You said there's a lot of uh, exciting new things coming up with your, this research, and, that's, and you're putting the call out to other grad students. <laughs> what kind of other exciting things uh, are connected to this? Really, there's a biological side of it. There's all of the information that's coming out of our work that hints to the different types of biological pathways that the cells undergo in response to radiation. We're trying to investigate those further. So we're working really closely with people who understand um, the biology of cancer and how you know that evolves in cancer cells to really put a good understanding of the responses these cells have to radiation. But then on top of that, so that's an expanding group uh, thing in our group. We're mm-hmm. trying to further understand that. But then on the other side, there's like an engineering component. We're trying to make this technique, this Raman spectroscopic technique, more efficient and highly reproducible so that we could develop it into maybe a clinical tool hmm. to be applied uh, in hospitals. And, and because of that interest, there's a lot of engineering problems that we're dealing with in terms of making it more efficient, things like trapping cells with uh, lasers to stop them in their place so we can analyze them. Um, oh, goodness. Just many different <laughs> mm-hmm. engineering feats that we're trying to deal with right now, yeah. Wow. And so do you have engineers helping you out with that as well? Um, yeah, I've, I've been working a bit with engineers as well now, which is kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. seems like we're working with everyone. <laughs> <laughs> um, also, though, I have a big interest in the engineering side of things. So mm-hmm. that's really where I'm focusing yeah. my time and developing the different um, techniques for automating this mm-hmm. process. Yeah. Did you go all the way through at UVic? Did you start at UVic in your undergrad and then continue on with your master's and PhD here, or did you come here for a master's? Um, I actually came here during my master's. Um, So I originated at the University of Manitoba Mm -hmm. in Winnipeg, and partly I was really excited about the research going on here, and partly I wanted to get away from the winters. Right. So (laughs) I decided to move out to the island, and uh, also it happened that 
uh, this research group that I'm working with had the perfect balance of all of my interests. Mm. And so I decided it was the right fit. Mm -hmm. Is it difficult if you are a scientist who's interested in, as you said, that edge of uh, different scientific fields, is it difficult to find the right spot to fit in, like the right lab to work in? Because, uh, you know, it seems like often research is sort of in their, you know, isolated in their own little departments? Yeah, that's a really good question. Mm. Um, I think in the past maybe five years and, and going forward, a lot of departments in, in science, like between chemistry, biology, and physics, are realizing the potential and the benefits of working in an interdepartmental uh, capacity. Mm -hmm. And so it's slowly becoming something that people are adapting um, to work with their colleagues in biology and in chemistry. But at the time when I was applying for my uh, graduate school, this was still very, very, this is still a fairly new concept. And so there aren't departments necessarily that are really uh, interested in, in having that balance between multiple uh, departments. Do you think that we'll see more and more of that, that we'll have that sort of, um, uh, I can't think of the word, that sort of uh, multidisciplinary almost approach to Absolutely, this? Yeah. 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 Mm. I think that uh, moving forward, especially in um, my field, medical physics, there's a huge interest of moving towards that boundary between the biologists and the doctors that work in, in a cancer center like mm. uh the BC Cancer Agency, we have the one hand, the oncologists, and on the other hand, the medical physicists, and we're trying to bridge that gap. Mm -hmm. And so specifically in my field, that's a huge push uh, towards collaboration. But I think in even just general in academia, a lot of people are realizing that the questions relevant to medical uh, inventions are really questions for multiple people to answer mm -hmm. and not just one expert in biology, say. Yeah. yeah. Um, as far as your PhD goes, so you're working on various types of research, sort of uh, smaller projects, it seems, within a larger umbrella, mm -hmm. like making your process more efficient and then actually seeing what the cells do and everything. Yeah. Um, so what is the the outcome going to be like what do you hope to, what will you produce by the end of it do you have to write a thesis as well as produce hope you know maybe have a model for a more efficient way of working with it uh yeah um so my personal goal for by the time my PhD is finished, obviously you have to write the thesis, but I would love to bring this project to a point where we can say, yes, this has potential for um, clinical application, or yes, this has potential for application in a biology setting, maybe as a substitute for something called facts, which is another way that biologists often rapidly and quickly understand what cells are doing at a molecular level. Hmm. We could maybe uh, bring my tool in as an alternative to that or a, a supporting to that, mm -hmm. supporting role. Um, and so my goal at the end of the day from this PhD would be to bring it to a level where it looks like it's promising for those applications and maybe 
I don't know, I'd love to get a few patents out of this or something. Just, right. You know, I do want it to, at the end of the day, amount to something other than just my prototype sitting on my desk. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that would be nice. <laughs> uh, what will happen when you're done? Do you plan on uh, continuing this, this sort of trajectory of research or do you want to teach? What would you like to do when you're finished? I think that ideally when I finish, I would love to continue in academia and continue doing research and development in the same kind of niche area, uh, the balance between physics and biology and developing new diagnostic techniques for cancer patients. This is something that I'm so passionate about and I would love to just continue inventing things right? Uh, and improving our view of how we treat cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do like teaching, but at the end of the day, I think I'm really passionate about changing our approach to cancer treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that actually is kind of in a way exciting to me because I remember sitting in a class a few years ago in medical physics courses and they teach you about how people used to treat cancer patients say in like the 1920s and I was thinking you know the way they used to treat cancer patients it was just so we would cringe at at, uh, if we still did it that way you know Um, and I thought you know who were the people that changed the way they used to do it to the way we do it now. Like, how did we go from holding radioactive seeds in a patient's hand, telling them to hold it and put it up to their cancer and hold it there for as long as possible? Whoa. Um, <laughs> to what we do now, understanding that, you know, that's not a good idea. You're probably going to cause more problems by doing that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so how can how did we get to that? Mm-hmm. And And I thought, you know what, it's people like, us, the grad students who are going to have a vision for the future, mm-hmm. what cancer treatment will look like 50 years down the road. And it's our job to bring us to that point. Mm-hmm. So I kind of formed a vision, this personalization of radiation therapy, and now mm-hmm. I'm going to try and get there. Wow. Do you um, do you get a chance to talk to other people who sort of have a similar idea of, you know, changing the way we treat cancer um, and uh, maybe working in similar fields or slightly more, maybe more biology, more chemistry? Yeah, I think uh, it's great to be around colleagues, and and I get that chance, who all the other grad students I work with are are kind of in the same boat. They have a vision um, for how they can improve. You know, we each have a little little role in a bigger picture thing, Mm -hmm. right? How can we improve uh, what we're doing now? for maybe when we are older and, and need it. And right. and I think all of the grad students I work with have that share that vision. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on the same at the same time, we get to do a lot of collaboration around the world even because um, there are many people around the world who are working towards, you know, similar ideas, not exactly the same as ours. And and then on a daily basis we get to talk to t- people like that. And mm-hmm. and it's really exciting to get to talk to like-minded people about these things and and imagine what it'll look like 50 years down the road and <laughs> dream. <laughs> you're very optimistic about what you're doing. You have a, a, like a pretty lofty goal and it seems like you're working very hard to achieve it. But it is a pretty big topic and to want to change the way that we uh, treat cancer for the better, does it ever seem overwhelming what you're trying to do and trying to sort of get to the point that you want to get to? Yeah, it does. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think that my PhD is going to like change the world right? because it's just, it's just not possible, Mm -hmm. but at least, you know, that at the end of the day, you've put in what you could 
to make that change possible and, and did what you could to hopefully allow that change to evolve. Um, but it does get a little discouraging once in a while. You know, I, when I do my experiments, I'm literally sitting in a basement in a pitch black room by myself for eight hours of the day mm. uh, because you can't have any light. Otherwise, it'll mess up my measurements. Right. So <laughs> it's literally a dark basement room. Um, and, and so it does get a little discouraging once in a while. You think, mm. why am I doing this? Or or <laughs> what is going on? I could be outside soaking up the rays. Right? <laughs> but at the end of the day, I think, you know what? It's people doing um, these smaller experiments that is going to lead to a larger uh, change and I think that it's necessary mm -hmm. and at the end of the day I wouldn't rather be doing any other job this is a great job mm -hmm. all right we're all out of time but I want to thank you for being my guest today it's been really interesting to hear about your work thank you thank you for listening to beyond the jargon if you want to listen again visit our website cfuv.uvic.ca the music you heard today is from Solar Mass Collective Volume 2, the song BOC by Kimchi Kitty. Mm -hmm.